It's a beautiful day out there, so the kids are going to be able to enjoy some outdoors as well as the trailer. As they're heading out, you can head to Matthew chapter 24. We made it to Matthew chapter 24. This is perhaps one of the most contested chapters of the Bible because it t- talks about future things and there's a lot of different ideas about future things because they haven't happened yet. We can't just say, oh, here's what this means. It hasn't happened yet. Um, but here Jesus is going to be explaining things to his disciples and there's instructions in it that we need to not miss. So let's read. Uh, we're just going to cover the first section this morning in Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 1. It says, Jesus left the temple, was going away, when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginnings of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray, and because lawlessness will increase, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your instruction uh, that you gave to your disciples who have now passed on to us. I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to understand your word rightly. And that as we do that, that we'd be open to it, to be changed by it, to be challenged by it, convicted by it. And so be able to live lives that are holy and pleasing to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this is a... Oh, thank you. I got my folks cueing me on my earbuds. I don't need to be styling like a... Well, like my kids. (laughs) This is a contested chapter. And when we get into anything with end times, there's, there's a lot of different models. There's a lot of different theories. Here's what it's going to be. And, and large books written with charts and, and different things. How do you approach something like this? How do you approach the Bible? It shouldn't be any different when we're talking about these things, if anything else. We look at what it says first. Don't try to stretch it into anything that... We have as preconceptions. Now, certainly I have a very important preconception coming into God's Word. And that preconception is that it is true, that it is God's Word. That's fundamentally, I think, the most important one. And you can, if you're not there yet, there's a lot that you can do to, to prove the reliability of the Bible. But that is ultimately something that you need to deal with. Is it God's Word? And I believe it is. And so everything, whether I'm reading Matthew's account or Mark's account or Luke's account of end times, from reading Daniel and his prophecies or I'm reading Revelation, it's all coming from God. And so a correct understanding will include every piece. And that's what we'll do. We say, oh, here's how it's going to work. And it all seems to fit, but then one piece doesn't fit. I can tell you if one piece doesn't fit, your theory's not quite right. Right? And that's how we treat God's Word. And so as I'm going through this, um, I'm going to give you my best understanding and certainly hold me accountable to God's Word. 
If what I say doesn't fit with something, God's word is more important than anything that I might say. It is his word that is the authority. And so um, certainly there are things that we can learn from it, and we are given this so that we can recognize as we get close to the end, right? All right. As we come into chapter 24, we're coming out of chapter 23, um, where Jesus was really speaking very straightforward to the, the, the scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. And in that, he was bringing statements of judgment on Jerusalem, right? Here's, here's where you're at, and this generation, and, and we know that in that generation, 40 years from this time, in 70 AD, Rome came in and destroyed Jerusalem. So we know uh, that what Jesus said was going to happen, happened. Uh, in, in the destruction of Jerusalem there. And so he's telling them of these future things. And as he's leaving the temple, then the end of chapter 23, he says, you, you're being left desolate um, and you're not going to see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And we looked at that and that's looking forward to the, the fullness of what was prophesied, partly when Jesus came in on a donkey, which is prior to this, they said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's recognizing the Messiah coming in. But the fullness of that's going to be at the end when Jesus does return again, comes into the temple, and they're going to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So he's talking to the Pharisees about future things. Here's what's going to happen. Um, and we get into verse 1 here. Jesus left the temple. They are left desolate. The, the presence of God has left the temple. This is, and is going to go stand on the Mount of Olives, just like Ezekiel prophesied. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. Look at, I mean, this was one of the wonders of the world back then. Uh, Herod's, uh, um, Herod invested into the, the temple to make it this incredible thing. Um, and they're admiring it. And what does Jesus say? But he answered them, you see all these? Do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And then in 70 AD, that's what happened. And my understanding is, is that there was gold within the temple and with the fires, everything melted. And so they were looking for gold. They, they turned over every single stone. There was not one stone left. Um, when they finally uh, sieged and then destroyed the temple surrounding it um, in 70 A.D. Um, going out, if you look, here's a picture of the Temple Mount right now, uh, looking from the Mount of Olives. So you can kind of see the, Rome, uh, the Dome of the Rock is that gold dome out there that's on the Temple Mount. The Temple Mount's the big flat area. Um, and some people believe that the temple was located right where the Dome of the Rock is built. Um, that might be. I had a professor that suggested it's actually in, 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 with respect to the East Gate and how they would use the Eastern Gate, that it's actually probably right next to that. The temple's not there anymore. It's been gone since 70 AD, right? And this is um, a highly contested piece of land. Um, so Jesus and his disciples were leaving the temple there, and that's where they said, look at all this. And he said, this is all going to be thrown down. And then they came and stood from the perspective of this camera uh, somewhere on this mount. This is the Mount of Olives. This is a graveyard there right in front of us. Uh, they, uh, Jewish graveyard, they point the feet towards the temple and the idea that if Jesus, or if the Messiah comes and God raises them from the dead, that they'll already be headed in the right direction to head towards the temple. Um, this is where Jesus was with the disciples. And they gathered around him. And, and after Jesus has been talking about all of these future things, they're asking him then, um, in verse 3, chapter 24, verse 3, uh, his disciples sat on the Mount of Olives, or as Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? What will be, what will be the sign of your coming and the end 
of the age. There's multiple parts to the question, and what we're going to see is Jesus, uh, there's multiple parts to Jesus' answer. The disciples didn't know clearly what was about to happen. In their mind, um, they thought that the coming of the new kingdom of Israel that Jesus was going to set up was, was right about to happen. Um, let's look at this timeline. I've, done the, I've shown this timeline before. Again, I want to qualify this with this is my best understanding of what the Scripture is giving us in a, in a picture. Um, test me by going to the Word, right? It, it, this is not infallible. God's Word is infallible. But this is my best understanding. Creation to eternity. So the green bar, you can barely see it, is creation. In creation, Adam and Eve sinned. We had the fall. And what we saw happen was Satan became ruler of this world. You see that on the bottom, right? And then we have these approximate periods of time. And this is, this is laid out in, in, with respect to Day of the Lord events. Day of the Lord events are when God brings judgment upon man. Man has uh, continually gone further and further away from him, and he brings an event of judgment. The first one, the, the blue one, after approximately 2,000 years of nations just becoming more and more evil, eventually um, it says... The, the, the heart of man, the thoughts of man were nothing but evil continually. Uh, God destroyed the world by flood, right? If, um, if we look at the scientific record around us in fossils and everything else, and we understand this as a context for it, we realize what we're looking at is a giant graveyard, right? There is a lot of bones out there, and then some of them in the wrong layers. Uh, what happened? A big giant disaster happened. Uh, and that was the flood. And then we have another approximately about 2,000 years of this time when God chooses a man to create a nation. To create a nation, he's going to give them instructions on how to be set apart, how to be holy, and how to be able to be in relationship with a holy God. And in that 2,000 years, um, we see that the Jews are unable to follow those instructions. As much as God has given it to them, there's constant uh, cycles of disobeying God, falling away from God, and we see a very clear picture of how well we can accomplish our own salvation even if God gives us everything we need to do it. Then another day of the Lord event comes and the wrath of God is poured out not on the world, but on His own Son on the cross for the sins of the world. And God provides a way of salvation through the cross. Well, that's where Jesus is at with the disciples. They're about to go to the cross. This is the week ahead of the cross that we see right here. What do the disciples believe? Well, there's a lot of prophecy about the Messiah coming, and it, and it can be confusing because some of the prophecy includes in the same passage events that happen there at the cross, Jesus coming for that, as well as a final pairing of Day of the Lord events. The orange Day of the Lord is when Jesus is going to come in judgment and judge the nations of the world. Um, is that going to be approximately 2,000 years? I hope so, because we're about there, right? We don't know. But the signs of the times are increasing around us, certainly. But they were confused. They, they didn't know. So they're expecting, as Jesus is talking about what's going to happen, that really that orange is part of the red. That this is, Jesus coming back is imminent. And we see that, if you look real quick at Acts chapter 1 and verse 6. Um, when Jesus is about to ascend, he's there with them again on the Mount of Olives, and he's about to ascend. Uh, they come together, and they ask him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? That's what's in their mind. All right, you, you raised from the dead. Is this going to happen now? So that's... That's what is in their minds as they're asking these questions. Go ahead and look at that closer in. Uh, there's a timeline zoomed in a little bit. There, we can see it. So they're at the red. They're thinking, we're at the end. They don't see that there's going to be a long time before Jesus returns. So Jesus' answer... He's giving them instructions. 
And what we're covering today, this first part, is his instructions for this time. The time of the Gentiles is one of the ways that it's given. It's a time when the salvation purchased on the cross is now made available to the nations of the world and whoever believes in Jesus will be saved. The wrath of God already poured out for their sins. The judgment of God, the day of the Lord uh, event on their behalf has already happened. So that these future day of the Lord events, they will not be cast into judgment, right? Because it's already happened on Jesus. And so Jesus' instruction for us is not just for his disciples, but for every disciple that will come after. What do you need to know in this time of the Gentiles, right? Um, This is not yet... These other things. We're not talking yet about the the next day of the Lord. We're not talking about the thousand-year reign of Christ when Satan is going to be bound. We're not talking about the ultimate final day of judgment. And we're not talking about eternity where there is a new heaven and new earth. and, and, And everyone will either spend eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. That's the way the Bible describes it. Um... We're not talking about that yet. Jesus isn't talking about that yet. He's talking about this time before the orange and what we need to know in that time. And so we see twice in this passage, um, if I look in in verse 6, he says, and you will hear of wars and uh, rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed for this must take place, but the end is not Yet, he's making clear what all this is happening, but the end is not yet. And at the end of this passage in verse 14, uh, he says, In the gospel, the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So, what we're looking at here is before the end, right? What we can expect. Well, what can we expect? Verse 4 Jesus answered them. See that no one lead you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. We can expect false messiahs. Uh, Christ is literally anointed one. There's going to be false uh, figures that people will follow that are not Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah, the anointed one that God has provided for us to follow his own son, but many will come in this time, and so we're going to find many false messiahs. That's what Jesus says. Verse 6, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. The disciples at that time had no idea the extent of what Jesus was talking about here. We have a much better idea. They didn't know what a world... They they knew war. The Romans attacking. And before that, uh, Alexander the Great. And and before that, the the Persians, the the Syrians. They they knew war, but nothing like what we have seen now with World War I, World War II. Continuing, escalating wars and rumors of wars. Um, We can see uh, even now uh, the world is, feels like it's about to go to war again, right? We already know there is war out there, but every nation is, is concerned. Every nation is arming. Every nation is getting ready just in case. Jesus said these things would happen, right? Um, verse 7, for nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. We've seen that too over the years and even more so now. We just had in Turkey terrible, devastating earthquakes, right? Jesus said, you're going to see this happening. This is what's going to be happening. Um, And in verse 8, all these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Um, I've never given birth. Uh, My wife has though, so... Uh, I've seen kind of how that goes. It, there's, there's an escalating process there. The pain gets greater, right? 
And that's kind of the picture that he's, that he's giving is as these things are happening, as wars and rumors of wars and, and what is natural disaster, right, and, and, and earthquakes and famine and all of this, this is going to escalate just like if you picture the birth process, birth pangs. The end is not yet, but expect these things to increase. And then verse 9, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. This has happened since the very uh, beginning of this period of time with the disciples there. They experienced it. Generations behind us have experienced it. We continue to experience it. Praise God that we have lived in a country that values religious freedom. That's not guaranteed forever. We still have persecution, but we, can, but we don't know, because of where we live, the extent of what the world is experiencing, uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ are experiencing in tribulation, right? This is not the ultimate tribulation. We'll talk about that in future weeks. But this is what Jesus said, in this time we're going to experience suffering for His name, for His name's sick. Verse 10, many will fall away. Apostasy, falling away from Christ and betray one another and hate one another. There's an incredible test that happens in the midst of tribulation and persecution. Those who are truly followers of Christ are seen and thrive even. But those who don't have a true faith in Christ will fall away. Um, Betraying one another, turning one another in. We've seen this in the past as well. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. There's going to be, and there are, and there has been, and in an increasing amount, people who stand up and say, here's what God says, here's a word from God, and lead many in a direction that is not of God. That's what a, a prophet is, just someone who speaks God's word. I am doing basically a form of prophecy even now because I am teaching God's word. It's not coming from David. This is the only thing valuable I have to share this morning is anything from God's word. Many false prophets will rise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will increase... Again, escalating, the love of many will grow cold. I worry about how prevalent sin, that's lawlessness in God's book, sin, is just making it into our society, into our homes. We turn the TV on and we're just inviting lawlessness into our house. It's, we turn on the internet. We turn, it's, it's just so much, we, we become desensitized to it. But what is the result of when our lives uh, have, are characterized by sinfulness, by lawful, lawlessness, is that the fruit of the Spirit, which is summed up in one word, becomes absent from our lives, and that is the love of God, the love of Christ for one another. Jesus says this is going to increase. More and more lawlessness in your countries, and more and more lawlessness in your cities, more and more lawlessness around you, and so love will decrease. How do we gain back love? We gain back a fear of God, of holiness, of following and obeying Him. The love will grow cold. In verse 13, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. You always have this theme in there. True faith is tested through persecution, is tested through trials, is tested through the influences of the world, of, of false prophets. Of, and, and those who truly believe and trust in Christ, those are the ones that are going to endure to the end. They're the ones who are going to be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And so Jesus is saying, here's what's going to happen. The gospel is going to go out. When, when we get to the end of Matthew, he's, he's going to tell his disciples, um, go to all nations, right? 
baptizing them, making, go make disciples of all nations. And then in Acts, before he, he goes up, he's going to say, you're going to be my witnesses here in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to, and to all the world. That, that's the plan of this time is that the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, of the kingdom, that here's how everyone, doesn't matter your language, doesn't matter your nationality, doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter the, the pattern of sin in your life that you're coming out of, there, there is salvation through the cross, the wrath of God for your sin has already been poured out in Christ. You just need to turn to Him and believe that good news is going to be proclaimed throughout the world. So every nation and tongue has a chance to turn to Christ before the end. Well, have we got there yet? I actually don't know. I think there's nations out there who have had the gospel brought to them and now They've rejected it. It's no longer there. I have no way to know has the gospel gone out throughout the whole world. I know that, a, that what's happening now in the world is getting to where the world's becoming a very small place very quickly. If you've ever seen a uh, live map of satellites, which is predominantly Elon Musk's satellites, thousands of satellites spreading the entire globe, and the Spots within all the nations that are starting to come live with internet, right? Connectivity. There is, a, there is a money reason that every nation be reached. And it's happening very quickly. But what has also happened, what God's purpose is in uh, this whole time of the time of the Gentiles is that His Word would go out. And even while the internet contains a whole lot of terrible things, it also has an incredible amount of truth, of God's word, of the gospel. And there have been continual efforts of, of missionaries going into the most remote, unreached areas of the world. God in a moment can say, now's the time. It's, it's in his estimation of being done. He could come today. <laughs> Boy, I would love that. The imminent return of Christ has always been there. From the first disciples to now, He could come at any moment. We're going to get into that later in His response when we get into chapter 25. We're supposed to just expect at any moment He could return. This will be fulfilled in His timing according to what He believes, He says, is ready in time for Him to come. God has already appointed that time. Within this passage, there's two commands. It's instructions to his disciples, instructions to us. Uh, in the Greek, uh, similar to in Spanish, you have a different conjugation for or uh, imperatives, right? It's a command, and so. It's not always the only, it's not the only thing to look at, but it's something to pay attention. When something's in the imperative in front of us, okay, that's, that's a command. And just to recognize it doesn't, it's not as obvious in the English. Um, but the two commands in here are things that I, I want us to draw our attention to this morning. And if you're following in the notes, um, uh, there's little fill-ins for, for us to help us this morning. Um, the first one comes from the first command there. Matthew 24, verse 4, it says, And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. There's the command. That's in the imperative. See that no one leads you astray. Don't be led astray. And here's the note uh, if you're doing the fill-in. Don't be fooled in this time. Don't be fooled. Why? Because what's going to happen... Uh, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. There's going to be false messiahs. And also in verse 11, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. There's going to be false messiahs and false prophets. Two very important questions as you evaluate Someone who's saying, follow this person. Or someone who's saying, here's what God says. There are many false messiahs, false religions, false 
Words from the Lord. There are two things that are key here. When you're evaluating, who is Christ? Right? Is this a false Christ or is this the one that's in the Bible? How do I know who Christ is? In here. This is my anchor of truth. There is no way I would survive in this time. Any of us could survive uh, correctly following the true Lord and Jesus, our Savior, Jesus Christ, unless we had this anchor to show us because we would be deceived. I would be deceived if I didn't have this as an anchor of truth. So that first thing we're gonna exa- we will examine when anything comes to us is who do they believe Christ is? What do they believe about Christ or this Messiah figure that they're talking about? And the second is what do they believe about salvation? How are you saved? Those two things. This is what Jesus is pointing us to, the testimony of the gospel that's going to go out, the means of salvation that's purchased on the cross, who Jesus is, and how you're saved are the two things that the world needs to get, and those are the two things that Satan, the ruler of this world, does not want people to get. And so any kind of deception, any kind of trickery is going to be there to pull you away from those two things. And our anchor of truth is in God's Word. What have we seen? Many false religions. In the last couple of hundred years, an escalation of false prophets and false religions. Things that are deceptive. They sound a lot like the real Christ. The salvation seems real close to what's in the Bible, but it's not. Anybody ever heard of Moonies? Here's uh, Sun Myung Moon. He uh, supposedly converted to Christianity. He's from Korea. But then he said I, he had a vision. Jesus came to him, told him that Jesus didn't finish his work here on earth. Obviously, he wasn't rooting himself in God's word and seeing where Jesus on the cross said, it is finished, right? His work was completed on the cross. But he said, well, Jesus didn't finish his work, and so he has appointed me to finish his work. He was a false Messiah, saying, follow me. And so the term Moonies, of anyone who's a follower of Mr. Moon, came about. And in the height of of that movement in the 80s, they, they claimed to have about three million followers worldwide. That was leading many astray, right? There's one example of many. Uh, it's not always a huge number that get led astray, but the, but the results can still be devastating. Um, how about just back in the 90s uh, here in Texas, David Koresh and the Waco massacre, right? That's a false prophet, Here's a word from the Lord, and, and it wasn't true, and, and even though it wasn't three million people following him into that, um, the devastation of people saying, oh, that's Christianity, that is the, the hope of the gospel, stay away from that. The, the devastation was much larger than the, than the few that followed him. We've had others that have come along, 1800s, 1900s, um, and it can be very deceiving. Jehovah's Witnesses, um, they have some strange beliefs of what they've pulled out of the Bible. Uh, things, and they've had them over, over the past. And they, they looked at the 144,000 that's in Revelation, and they, they took that to mean that, that there's only going to be 144,000 that go to heaven. Uh, that became awkward when their numbers increased past 144,000. Um, they still hold that. Uh, and then they've, they've got some other things that have come up that they've described, well, then, well, then these others are going to live forever on earth, not in heaven. Um, they, they believe Jesus was coming back in 1914, and, and then that didn't work out. Um, they've got a lot of strange beliefs, but well, what's the important question to always ask? What do you believe about Christ, and what is the way of salvation? That is always the two things to examine to press into. What do they believe about Christ? They believe he's Michael the archangel. He's not God. 
right? They don't believe he's the Son of God. They don't believe that there's a Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right? That, and, and the way of salvation is not through faith in Jesus Christ. It's a way of works, of earning your salvation. That's most commonly what you're going to see, is faith versus works. What does the Bible teach us about who Jesus is? The very beginning of John's gospel, how does he introduce Jesus Christ? John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. That's Jesus. And it becomes very evident he's talking about Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There we have evidence of the Trinity. Both two separate persons, but one God, right? And it, there it is. Jesus is God. He was in the beginning with God. He's always existed. He's eternal, right? And then all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. If someone declares Jesus to be anything other than that, it's a different Christ. It's a different Messiah. It's not what the Bible testifies as the one who purchased our salvation on the cross, God's Son, God Himself, loving us, taking our sin upon Himself. That's who Jesus is. What's the plan of salvation in the Bible? Is it works? There's a passage that talks about faith and works, and it's a great passage to go to to say, what is this about? In, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, how are we saved? For by grace you have been saved through faith. How are we saved? We're saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's all Him. The only provision of salvation I have is, is not anything that I could earn. It is only what Jesus purchased on the cross. That's it. If someone comes to you and says, here is a way of salvation, and many will come. Jesus said there's going to be false prophets and false messiahs, and to try to lead you astray into a different way of salvation is putting your faith back on yourself. I'm the one to earn my salvation. Jesus said you can't do that. The only way is to be saved through faith. It is the gift of God. So where do works come? It's not a result of works. So my salvation is not a result of works so that no one can boast. I can't say, look at what I have done to be saved. I, I went forward uh, on an invitation. I said a certain prayer. It's like, no, that, there, there isn't a work that I can do to be saved. But works do come into the picture. How so? For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In God's plan, in Jesus Christ, works aren't the way that you get into salvation. Works, good works, are part of the blessed life that we have after salvation. It, it is part of the joy that we have after salvation is following and living in good works that He has prepared ahead of time for us to walk in. The blessed life, the full life. That is what the Bible says about salvation and works. But I go to a Jehovah's Witness, how are, how are you saved? How do you gain any kind of position with God? It's by works to get there. Today there's an estimated eight and a half million Jehovah's Witnesses. Many will fall away. How about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? That sounds like it should be good. Church of Jesus Christ. Shouldn't that be good? That's the Mormons. Let's ask the same two questions. It gets real deceiving with Mormonism. Why? They, they've, and, and this, you, it's, it's what you would expect. Jesus is saying many will be, will be drawn uh, away They'll use the same terms with a different meaning. If you say, oh, do you be Jesus is God? Yeah. But you press in a little further, Jesus is a God. They've had beliefs from their beginning where they've kind of changed because the belief is awkward and, they want, and they'll change it over time. Uh, Brigham Young originally believed Jesus was the son of Adam. That doesn't work in what the Bible says. Well, they, don't, they wouldn't say that anymore now. Um, another one is that 
Jesus is Satan's brother. That one's more recent. I, I think now they're starting, some of them don't, wouldn't accept that anymore. But more importantly, what, who is Jesus? Is he God? Is he the one true almighty God? They say he is a God. In fact, if you want to be a God, you can be a God too. That's different. This isn't what was described in John 1 as the one who created all things, the one who is there with God, who is one with God from the very beginning. That's Jesus. You see, you have to press in and understand, what do you mean by that? Are we talking about the same Christ? Are we talking about the same Jesus? It's different than what the Bible says then it's not Jesus. How about the way of salvation? Those are the two important things. Who is Jesus and how are you saved? They say, by grace you're saved through faith and works. Right? It's not just faith. Works are the means to salvation. That's how you get saved. It's on the other side from what the Bible teaches. As of 2021, there's an estimated 16.8 million Mormons in the world. Escalating, increasing. That's what Jesus told us we can expect as we get towards the end in this time. And we need to not be led astray. Don't be fooled. And we have God's word as an anchor to not be fooled. The most important thing that you grasp when you open God's Word is grasping an understanding of who Jesus is. Read the Gospels. There's four Gospels here. Matthew, Mark, we're, we're in Matthew, and then the three books that follow that in the Bible are three other accounts of Jesus' life. A very important place to read in the Bible because that is... Jesus' life, I, I can see, okay, that's how Jesus thinks. That's how Jesus responds. That's the character of Jesus. It's in the Gospels. And then everything that follows that in the New Testament, that's, that's the testimony of his disciples. That's still Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Uh, one of the things the Holy Spirit does is glorify Jesus, and he's there guiding the apostles and writing this New Testament scripture, giving instruction to the church and how they should follow Jesus. And if I go to the Old Testament, Jesus quoted a lot from the Old Testament. And he's quoting about how it points to him. And then on the, the, the road to Emmaus, he's, he's unlocking the Old Testament scripture to see how he is the fulfillment of that. You can't go anywhere in the Bible and not have it point to Jesus. We need to anchor ourselves in this because this reveals the true Christ, the true Messiah, the Son of God. If any of you watch the Super Bowl, some of you just watch it for the commercials. Um, there's a surprising commercial on there, advertising Jesus. Uh, mixed responses from different people on, on wait, what was that? They just advertised Jesus. Um, I love that Jesus' name is being proclaimed, right? How do you, how do you respond to that? And a lot of wary kind of, wait, is this, what, what's behind that? If you looked it up, um, you know, the, the owner of Hobby Lobby is, is one of the influencers behind that, uh, has a lot of money to be able to do that. Um, he gets us. Go to God's Word. Who, who are they describing Jesus to be, right? He gets us is, is an idea that we do find in Hebrews chapter 4 that we don't serve a high priest who's, who doesn't know, who doesn't sympathize with our weakness. He knows our weakness. So that's a good thing. The way you examine anything is specifically on those two things. Is this the true Christ given in God's Word? And what is the means of salvation? They don't really get into the salvation question in, in those commercials. And that's what I would hope that people would go and find 
be intrigued to find, and God would use that to lead people to seek out who is Jesus. There's been a, an attack. We've talked about the last couple hundred years as we got into kind of a, a time of intellectual criticism, uh, prove it to me, scientific uh, era. Um, 1700s, 1800s, 1900s, right? Um, even early age, beginnings of our country, deism became a big thing. It was you know, questioning anything supernatural, that God would reveal himself in any way, um, that, you know, not believing miracles, not believing prophecy was possible, not believing the this virgin birth or resurrection could even be possible, anything miraculous. And, and there was incredible attack on God's word. And, and when I said at the beginning, what is my preconception going into this book? Is that it is God's word and that it is true. Well, there is a whole bunch of preconceptions that developed that said, well, it isn't possible that someone could truly predict the future, right? It isn't possible that there could really be miracles. And so this is just kind of a religious thing. And, and there's just a lot of scholar work and they have to try really hard because when you pair the historical record the, uh, uh, and, and the evidence that we have from archaeology with the Bible, it fits. And so to try to disprove prophecy is really hard. You've got really awkward books like Daniel. It's like Daniel really did a good job of predicting uh, the, the Assyrians and, and, and Alexander the Great and, what, and the Romans and it, it was all predicted ahead of time. And here you have in Matthew, Jesus saying, and, and in other passages saying very clearly what's about to happen to Jerusalem. And then we go in the historical record, and it did happen in 70 AD, just like he said it would. Well, he can't predict the future, so this must have been written later, and they added that. And a lot of scholar work to go in to show how, well, Matthew had to have been written after 70 AD, and he inserted these things in there, knowing, looking back, that it happened. Unfortunately, a lot of that criticism and a lot of that scholarly work, some of the results of that are accepted among evangelicals and how they treat God's Word. Not going, wait, where did this come from? This came from a premise that this can't be true. There's a group um, started in 1985 called the Jesus Seminar. It began the search for the historical Jesus, 50 scholars and 100 lay, lay scholars. Lots of influence. Um, the, the founder of that died in 2005, and there's two other group seminars that have branched off from it and continue to work. And as they're examining, their, their goal is, all right, let's just go back and, in a very scholarly and intellectual way, we understand this Christianity thing was just this religious thing that happened, but who was the real Jesus back then, right? And for their source material, the four least credible sources is the four Gospels. That's how they treat it. Because those couldn't possibly be true because they're making claims about the future. They had to have been written later. They had to have been manipulated. And so, if you're ever, if you're ever reading through, and this comes actually much, much longer before them, but, but the same line of criticism saying, well, I, I notice there's things that are in Matthew that are also in Mark, and there's things that are in Luke that are also in Mark. Um, and there is some shared material between Matthew and Luke, um, but not the same material that's in Mark. And so, well, here's what happened. Mark was written first, even though he wasn't a disciple, John Mark. Um, and then... Matthew and Luke had this other source, and, and there's a Greek word, starts with a Q, and so they just call the source Q, 
There's this other source. And the similar material that we find, they had this other source. There's been zero evidence of that source ever existing. But there's this other source, and we'll call it Q. So if you're reading, even evangelical works today of people who should know better, they should know where the premise of all that is, they'll refer to, well, we think this might have been from Q. You know where all that comes from. It, it comes from uh, a belief system that starts with questioning the integrity of God's Word. What ultimately comes out of all of that? Undermining the person of Jesus Christ. What Jesus said was going to happen. Who is the Christ? Who is the Messiah? Drawing a picture of Him that is something other than what God's Word says is true. Personally, what I believe happened is Matthew, as a first-hand witness, a disciple of Jesus Christ, was the first one to write a gospel. He didn't need another source because he was there. And he wrote it very soon after, before 70 AD, right? And then you have Mark, uh, who spent a lot of time with Peter. And you have Luke. And, and, and my understanding is that Luke, uh, Luke then wrote, and he had Matthew as a reference, I shouldn't be surprised to see some things show up in both. And that doesn't, that doesn't change uh, that the Holy Spirit was leading him in that to have Matthew as a source. And then Mark came along and later wrote this more uh, concise. If, if for us as Gentiles, it's a great book to read because we don't under, if you don't understand all the Jewish stuff, go read Mark. It's, it's much towards, more towards a, a Gentile audience, shortened. They would say, well, it's shorter, so that means it was written first. They added to it later. He pulled from Luke and from Matthew, right? We're going to see things when, when there's a parenthesis in Matthew where it says, let the reader understand. Jesus would not have said, let the reader understand, right? He's, he's talking to people. Well, Mark copies that. Let the reader understand. That's okay. He's using Matthew as a source. But what's your premise? This is God's Word. And in it, I can... Find the true Jesus. Something just to consider. I don't know the background and purpose of the He Gets Us campaign. I love that Jesus' name is being proclaimed. But Jesus told us just be wary, right? Be wary. And, and I would just recognize that to the extent that they're presenting Jesus, these scholars would be okay with that. Right? From there, you could go to a false Jesus, you could go to the real Jesus. I hope and pray that that commercial and the, and the billboards that have it as well encourage people to go to church and go find Jesus, right? Let's pray for that. Rejoice in it. I certainly love the fact that Jesus is being spoken of uh, where there's a lot of other stuff being spoken of, right? That's a wonderful thing, and I praise the Lord for that. Yes. I was reading a video, not reading the comments of a video. It's interesting to read a video. I wasn't doing that. Um, gotquestions.org put together a video. They're a great resource, by the way. If you're looking for a resource that also is in tons of other languages in the world, you can, you can actually go and get translated material from them. Um, they've been pretty solid as, as I've looked at things that they've done. Well, they had a good video on the sin of Sodom. The sin of Sodom. Sodom and Gomorrah are the uh, cities in the Old Testament. We find God brought judgment on them, um, destroyed them because of their sin, right? And um, GodQuestions.org did a video on the sin of Sodom. And what we find there is in the Bible, and we find a lot of other places in the Bible, is when, when mankind hits the bottom really, uh, of sinfulness, sexual sinfulness is the characteristic there, right? We see it in Revelation. We see it in Romans 1. We see it back in the Old Testament. It's, that is where we go as a society, is sexual sin as, as the, the bottom, and that was there in Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, terrible. I, you know, the, these angels from God are there to bring Lot's wife out and they're there in the house, and the crowds come around, and, and they're saying, here, let, bring them out so that we can have sex with them, 
It's just the, the, the it's gross. But then Lot's response is almost worse. He's like, don't do this, brothers. Hey, you're calling them brothers. Here's my daughters instead. Like, I can't even conceive of that. But, but you realize in this world that we're in today, we have become desensitized to the sin that's around us. And we've started to just be accepting of it and to go with it and Well, God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. They become a picture of ultimate depravity and the judgment of God. It's, it's brought up later than in the scripture as a picture. Um, reading through the responses, uh, comments on that video, came to the end and here was a comment. This Christian God did what we'd call a crime against humanity today. Is there anything more vile than the Christian God? That's the world's response. And then someone responded to that comment. It's not the Christian God, you doofus. This was done by the judgmental and vengeful God of the Israelites. The merciful Christian God is the human son of the God of Israel. You see how wrong that is. But you see how that reflects a broken understanding of who God is and of who the Messiah is. Increasing further away from God, there will be false messiahs, false prophets. So beware, don't be fooled. What does the Bible say about Jesus? What does Jesus say about himself? John 14, 8. Philip told him, hey, Jesus, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Is Jesus so different than the Father? Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and still you do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. The God of the Old Testament, Jesus of the New Testament, they are one and the same. How can you say, show me the Father, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. What we see in Jesus is the fullness of God, right? All right, I have gone super long today. Um, so real quick, the last two points. Matthew, the second command in here, Matthew chapter 24, verse 6. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. There's the second imperative. Don't be alarmed for this must take place, but the end is not yet. Here's the thing, church, to watch. Second point in the notes, watch your reactions. You hear of what's happening in Ukraine. You hear what's happening in the world. You hear uh, of devastation or of, of... Watch your reaction. Your reaction reveals what's in your heart and where your faith is. You don't have to be alarmed. Jesus says, don't be alarmed. These things must happen. You're going to see it increase. Don't be surprised. This is what's going to happen. And behind that is the question of what I'm trusting in. And so I'm going to jump right to the third point. This is what we need to be doing. Focus on Jesus, the real Jesus, the one that's in the Gospels, the one who is the Almighty God, the one who is going to come in judgment at the end, the one who purchased our life, purchased our salvation on the cross, We need to keep our eyes on Him. And the questions for the week and the notes gave you a whole bunch of references. And, and that's just the, the tip of the iceberg. Just pictures of Jesus. Compare those to what the world gives you. Finally, in verse 14, what's Jesus' mission for us? Why are we here in this time? Verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world 
as a testimony to all nations. Salvation in Jesus. Salvation in, his, in God's Son. The true Jesus Christ. That's what we need to be sharing with our friends. That is our hope. And it's a blessed, glorious hope. I am out of time. We're going to start late on the next one. That's okay. There's one more thing I want to share. Mm -hmm. Tim, I didn't get a chance to talk to you ahead of time, um, but I did want to share about Terry. Um, what a beautiful moment. And this is the hope that we have in Jesus. I got to be there and watch as Tim said farewell to his wife. Both trusting in Jesus as he said, all right, it's okay, you can go be with him. It's beautiful. It's beautiful because of the faith that they had. There is no other Jesus. There is no other Messiah that truly is able to to carry us through this time now and then assure our salvation and assure that we will, when we pass out of this world, be in His presence. What a beautiful moment that I got to watch of two faithful servants saying a temporary farewell. The ruler of this world would try to lead us to any other way than the way that we have in Jesus. Don't be fooled. Don't be alarmed when things happen. We have Him. We can put our faith in Him. Trust Him. He's going to carry us. He's going to come back one day for us. It's going to be a glorious time when we get to see Him, whether we go there to be with Him or where He comes while we're still alive. Our hope is in Him. We need to share that with the rest of the world. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank You for your, for your salvation that you purchased on the cross for us. Lord, give us a boldness to share that to a world that's lost, that's being taken in by all sorts of different messiahs, different ways. God, there's only one true Christ. There's only one true Son of God. There's only one true way of salvation, and that is the way that is in you, Jesus Christ. You are the way, the truth, and the life. We confess that to be true. We confess your word to be true and trustworthy and effective for teaching us, correcting us, guiding us even now. Lord, forgive us for going after other things, other gods, other idols, and not setting our eyes on you. Lord, this morning as we sing, Lord, let our eyes just be fixed on you, worship of you. Whatever things that have had our attention, that have, that have become a fear, a source of fear in our life, Lord, help us to lay those down before you. We don't have to be worried. We can just trust you, our Savior of God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. When this life is overwhelming me And I feel like giving up I will cling to all you promised It will always be enough When the world around me crumbles And it's hard to understand I will run to you, my shelter. I am safe within your hands. Oh, you are my help forever. And I will not fear. God, you are with me. And I know you're near. You'll never leave me. I will trust in you alone 
you whispering You're not alone here in these trials And I will hold you faithfully Yes, you are my help forever And I will not fear God, you are with me And I know that you're near And you'll never leave me I will trust in you alone And when my heart and strength that failed me For oh my God, you won't Your name is mine, see I will trust in you And love will always be enough Oh, you are a fortress for the weak The strength that carries me When I am on my knees Oh, the cross reminds my heart to trust Your faithfulness and love will always be enough and I will not fear God you are with me and I know that you're near and you'll never leave me I will trust in you alone and when my heart and strength have failed Cause your name is mighty I will trust in you alone I will trust in you alone I will trust in you alone Be blessed, church. In Him alone. Love you, church. Go in the Lord.